All right, it's so good to be with you. My name's Brian. I'm on staff here at Highland Park, and I'm really glad. I love these days where we have our children in with us. We do that once a month, and we are strategic about that. We believe uh, that uh, that is beneficial for our whole church family and to have families learning and growing together. And we love to do age-specific stuff as well, but we also think there's real strength long-term for having kids with adults and adults with kids. We want to, those relationships to grow through the years. And so when I write a sermon like this, I'm thinking about our adults. And I'm also thinking about our kids. So I'm thinking about Peyton over here and Hyun over here and Mary back there. So I'm thinking about all of the kids, all of the kids who are here. Mary's in my small group, so I'm allowed to tease her just a little bit. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, today. And uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. Uh, we will be in chapter 12 here in just a little bit. So we've been in this series called Soaked, because we want to be fully baptized, soaked in the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't want to just barely be a little bit uh, wet. We want to be fully soaked in the gospel, and that changes all of our life. And uh, last week's sermon that Dave preached and this week's sermon kind of go together as we talk about uh, 4Gs, kind of the 4G network here, okay? Uh, these 4Gs, these, defin- these, these descriptions of God. And, and last week, Dave talked about how but behind every lie is a sin. And so b- before you sin, you've believed a lie already. You go back all the way to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, before they sinned, what did they do? They believed a lie. It's okay. God just doesn't want you to know this stuff. It's all good. Go ahead and see. They believe the lie and then they sinned. And so what we believe matters because if we believe the lie, leads us to destruction. And so last week, um, Dave talked about the first two G's that we want to talk about. And just to kind of review these, I think we can put these on the screen up here. I'm going to say who God is and then I want you to say the next phrase uh, that comes after it. Okay, so here we go. God is great. God is glorious. Good. And then today's uh, two that we want to talk about, let's do the same thing. God is good. And lastly, God is gracious. And today, I want us just to consider one kind of illustration or metaphor, kind of image that will help us really believe God's goodness and his graciousness uh, with us. And to help us kind of understand that, we're just going to have a little story time right here, okay? So I'm going to read a story to you, and um, this story will kind of help you kind of have in mind what I want you to have in mind uh, the rest of the sermon. The story was written by uh, someone named Jonathan Lehman. Here it goes. Mr. Nose and Mr. Hand were sitting in the church chairs talking. The morning service, led by ear and mouth, had just ended, and Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really, Nose responded to Hand's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Hand said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for, Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Hand's answer. 
If the hand could not see that nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church body in the right direction, the body could just do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked the pastor mouth and his family. And Miss Minister of Music Ear met well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them at all. Next, we joined the small group for all of the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors, and that just did not interest us. Nose looked at him, this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Sure, sure, but it's not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple months ago. Oh, yeah, it was great to have you. Thank you, but everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on Eastside. We hear they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at this prospect of losing the hands. But he again said that he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, <clears throat> but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he had never burst into an open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had had their effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little bit silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it. But they finally decided that the church wasn't for them. In addition to all of that, Mrs. Hand knew that their daughter, Pinky, was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her. She felt out of joint. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Mrs. Hand then said something about how she appreciated Nose and the leadership. But the conversation had already run on too long for Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. <laughs> he thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of their departure, and then turned and walked away. Who needs the hands anyway? Apparently, they did not need him. Hmm. So do you have the picture in mind that we want to have in mind this morning that God gives us this picture that the church is a body and we need one another. So that story leads us to our scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. And I think this passage will kind of come, in, come alive in light of that story. So if you want to read along in your Bibles, you can do that or you can read along in the screen. But we all want to read uh, these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, written to a church family, kind of like ours right here. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. That's verse 12. Verse 13. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Um, are all apostles, are all teachers, are all prophets? No, 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 no. Uh, all are part of the body. And then it goes on to talk about the gifts, and we'll get to what it happens just a little bit after that. So there's this beautiful metaphor in the Bible, it's not the only time it's used, that we are all part of the body. So what would happen if your body was just entirely made up of ears, right? A whole lot of earwax. That's what would happen, right? It's kind of gross. And, but that's what Paul says. We can't just have a whole bunch of ears. I mean, you might be able to hear really well, but you couldn't do anything about it, right? You couldn't move anywhere or go anywhere. And what would happen if the body was just a hand? You know, apart from the Adams family, I've never just seen like a hand kind of moving around because it couldn't see anything. It couldn't hear anything. It'd be running into stuff and falling off things. And so that's the example that God gives to us for what the church is supposed to be. Every part has its place. Everything is important. All the parts are important. And so God is good. So I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. If, if you're the elbow you're not going to be more happy if you leave the body and go try to start your own thing, right? Be like, hey, let's just have an elbow club over here. Is that going to go well for your elbow if it leaves your body? No. It's not going to be able to do anything. The elbow may think, hey, it's going to be great over here just with a whole bunch of other elbows and we're do, we'll do our elbow thing. But that elbow can't exist and find joy and fulfillment and effectiveness without the rest of the body. And so God says, I am good. And, and I am forming this body, the church. And if you are joined to me, you don't have to go everywhere else trying to be satisfied. And if you look around to your friends and your family, and if you look in your own past, you'll see times where you were trying to find satisfaction by leaving Jesus. You would try to, oh, if I could just have enough money, if I could just maybe learn more and more and more 
all of the book of Ecclesiastes just is about this. If I, could, if I could be really smart or if I could just kind of party all the time and, and have this or if I could have romance, if, if I could do that, then I would be satisfied. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes kind of concludes that like, none of it brings you satisfaction. Only God can do that. And so it's by being part of God, connecting to his body, that we find satisfaction God is good, so we don't have to go looking elsewhere. We don't have to leave the body. We don't have to go somewhere else on our own to find satisfaction. And God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. I, I doubt that anybody this morning, when you woke up, you looked down at your big toe and you're like, okay, prove to me that you're worth keeping for the day. Show me how strong you are. Show me how smart you are. Show me how great you smell, whatever it might be. You, you were just glad to have your big toe right? You were just glad that it worked and glad that you could walk and move around and you were thankful to have it. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you don't have to wake up every morning and try to prove yourself to the world. A lot of us are trying to do that all the time, aren't we? We're trying to prove ourselves and be like, I'm good enough for you to like me to a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or to family. Or we're trying to prove ourselves to people at work or school. I'm good enough so that you can like me. I'm going to do everything to prove myself. And God says, I am gracious. You don't have to prove anything to me. Just come be with me. Be part of this body, my body. And I am gracious. Tim Chester says, to say to temptation, I must not do this, is legalism. But to say, I need not do this because God is bigger and because God is good, is good news. If you're struggling with sin today, I want to encourage you not to only ask, um, should I or shouldn't I do this, but maybe to ask, do I have to do this? Or is because God is so gracious to me, I don't even have to do this. I don't have to sin. I don't have to make this destructive choice because God is enough for me. I get to say no to this bad choice that I know is sin. And that Roman says, if you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, it's sin. So when that decision comes up, it, maybe it's going to help you to realize, like, I don't have to do that because God is enough for me. I don't have to sin. I don't have to do that rotten thing that's going to lead me towards destruction. I get to follow the Lord and follow Jesus. God is gracious. And if we live in goodness and grace, it's freeing and it's wonderful. But if we believe the lies, then we threaten the unity of the body. Because imagine an eye saying, ah, I'm not good enough for the body. Like, I'm just not very good. My eyesight's diminished a little bit. I get kind of watery sometimes. And, and so I'm just going to leave. You would be begging your eyeball, no, 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 no. Wait, <laughs> we can put some eye drops in. We can help you. We still need you. And, and that's the message to people in the body of Christ. We need you. God has a plan for you. And the same way if the eye said, hey, I'm better than all y'all. I don't need you. I'm just taking off and going on my own. Again, God would say, oh, not so fast, buddy. You know, it, it's kind of like when somebody says, I, I'm going to be a Christian, but I don't need the church. It's kind of like saying, like, I'm going to be an NFL player. I just don't need a team. Hmm. That's not going to work out so well for you, is it? One on 11 doesn't play well. 
But both groups of people, the people who felt inferior, like, I'm not good enough, or the people who feel superior, like, I'm better than everyone, God calls them and says, you don't have those feelings if you understand my goodness and my grace. You're just thankful to be part of the body. And both of those groups existed in the church in Corinth, and they certainly can still exist in, in here today, right? And so Paul writes three uh, kind of things that he says to address this with the church in Corinth. And I just want to walk through those three things kind of quickly with you. The first is this. Paul says, you're wrong. If you think you're not good enough or you think you're too good, understand this. You are in error. You're wrong. You're mistaken. You can think that all you want. You can think I'm washed up and I'm no good all you want, but you're wrong. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. And you can think I'm better than everyone else, but hear me out. You're wrong. So I love Paul's boldness in teaching sometimes. He's just like say, hey, you can think that all you want. Fine, you're wrong. Okay, so you either, you either believe God or you can believe your own little tiny little brain. Okay, what's it going to be? Sometimes we have to give up what we think is right and just say, okay, I trust you, Lord. There's a place for me in the body. I'm not all washed up. I, I do have something to offer and, and we just need to trust. So I love the first thing Paul says is, hey, you're wrong. That's verses 15 through 16. And then verses 17 through 19, he says, every part is necessary for the body to be the body. In fact, 1 Corinthians kind of paints this picture of what makes the body effective and unified is its diversity. Like there's all these different parts that work together, and that's what makes it so special. I hope... I hope that you never feel fatigued about how often we at Highland Park talk about the importance of the diversity in the body of Christ. I understand that's a buzzword in like the corporate world, in the political world, and we don't, we don't say that word to try to be PC or fashionable or any of that. We don't really care about any of that. We talk about diversity because it honors God. And, and as we look in this church family, we have people sitting around you who spoke a different language when they were born than you did. And people who have a different uh, skin tone than you did. We have people who are really young and people who are a little bit older. We have people who were born with lots of money and people born with no money and people still in those situations. We have uh, people who root for different teams and come from different backgrounds and live in different neighborhoods. I mean, we're kind of a diverse group of people, and we only want to grow in that, not so that we can be popular or win an award or anything like that, because the more we are diverse, the more gifts that we have, and the, the easier it is to reach different cultures and different groups of people. You know, if there's, if there's somebody that lives in an east side neighborhood, they're going to be the ones most equipped to, re to reach lost people in an east side neighborhood, right? It just makes sense. And, and the more people that know the gospel, that expands our reach as a church. Plus, the more we're around people who are different than us, the more we learn. You know this, every time you get around people who are different than you, and you just listen to them, you're like, oh, I never thought about that. I'm amazed at when I am just, every once in a while, able to shut my mouth and listen what I learn from people of just that, that thought of like, I never thought about that. I never thought about why you would choose to do that, but now I get it. 
Or I never thought about why this would be your tradition, but now I get it. Or I never thought about why this is your instinct or this is your fear or whatever, but now I kind of get it. Once we just listen to each other, and that makes us stronger and more healthy and more effective. Last week, uh, our family got to be down in uh, San Antonio, and I got to preach at a church that had been going through my book, and uh, the preacher is a, is a friend of mine. <clears throat> and our churches have some similarities. It kind of felt like we were home. Uh, one thing that's different there is that they have a really large outreach to Spanish-speaking folks who come from a number of different countries, Mexico and a lot of Central and South American different countries. In fact, the, the first sermon I got to preach was translated into Spanish, and the second one was, was in English. But as I was talking to some of their leaders just about their church and some of their people, it's in this community off I-10 that's economically uh, kind of gone downhill for several decades. It's become very, very diverse. Um, and what the leaders told me was most of the other churches in that neighborhood left because they went to places where they were, honestly, where it was rich and white. And they didn't mean, they weren't trying to attack anybody. They were just saying that's just kind of the honest truth because that's kind of what this neighborhood used to be and it's just not that way anymore. And they said, we're one of the kind of the few churches that have stayed and it's tough. And during my sermon, I really just wanted to encourage them. And I said, hey, you know, thank you for staying here. Thank you for, for welcoming diversity, even though it's tough. It's tough to get people from all these different cultures together and to love one another and to work through stuff that you don't always understand. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. So I tried to just encourage them a bunch. At, after the sermon was done, I had several people come by and say kind of the same thing. And it went something like this. Thank you for your encouragement. It is tough. And I, a couple of people say, you know, sometimes people think that just because you're Spanish speaking, you are alike with everybody else who's Spanish speaking. But the truth is, like, we're from all these different Central American, South American countries, and we have our own prejudices and cultures and traditions and all these things to work through. And they were like, it is really tough. But thanks for encouraging us, because it is really tough. They kept kind of like going back and forth between these two things. Thank you, it is tough, but it's good. And we're glad that we're in this. And I want to encourage you as a church family, and just as individuals and as families, be with people who are different than you, who are older than you, who are younger than you, uh, who look different than you, who come from different cultures and backgrounds, because that adds strength to the body of Christ. And we love that. The third thing that Paul says, he says, first of all, if you, think, if you think I'm wrong here, if you think you're not important or you're too important, you're wrong. The second thing is, every part is necessary. And the third thing is, God has a role for you. Every single person, you and you and you and you and you and you and you, everyone. And to deny your place in the body is to say that God doesn't know what he's doing. You want to say that to God? To deny your place in the body is to act like God doesn't know what he's doing. Remember, Jesus was crucified and he was buried and he was resurrected to save sinners and to make them a part of his body. And the Spirit gives new birth and faith and then baptizes each member and soaked in his goodness and soaked in his grace. And we believe that. And we've defined discipleship as growing in belief in every area of life. And so the more we believe God is good and we can trust him, and the more we believe God is gracious 
and he will welcome us to his body and have a role for us to play in his body. That is good. Every one of you has different gifts and different talents and different skills and different passions. And the body is working full throttle when every person is saying, here's my part. It's not the most important part, but it's an important part because every role matters and I'm going to give my best to the Lord. One person I'm just really proud of and thankful for, and she didn't know I'm going to say this so it might embarrass her a bit, but EJ Vu, you've seen her artwork in our church building out here in different places in the lobby and such. And that's a way that God gifted her like beyond measure. And I love that she dedicates her artwork to Christ. And it's really cool that Ozark Christian College commissioned her to do three huge portraits of Jesus, different representations of Jesus that they're going to unveil in a special chapel service on Tuesday. A bunch of us are going to go be part of that celebration. And I've seen the artwork, and it made me cry. And it's just amazing. And, uh, um, and I told EJ, I said, if, if you don't go to this art unveiling thing with us, Dave and I are going to tell everyone that we did it. And, <laughs> and, uh, but then when they realized it wasn't stick figures, kind of crooked and misfigured, they would have figured out it wasn't us pretty quickly. Um, but every person has gifts and talents and skills to give to the body of Christ. And to our young people here, like Paul's words are really clear that you're not too young to give to the Lord. You give to the Lord. And to our, our people who have experienced decades of life and you're feeling a little bit older and you're wondering if you have something left to give, the answer from God is absolutely yes. And that moment that you hear something that says, you don't have anything else to give to the church body, that is a lie. And you need to identify it as a lie, and you need to stomp it out and say, God, forgive me for even believing that lie for a second, because I know that your truth says, I've still got some game. Now that game may change. What we do changes in different seasons of life, right? And I've experienced some of those, and you've experienced some of those, and we'll continue to. And how we used to serve may be different than how we will in the future, and that's okay. But we all still have ways that we can serve the Lord. And that helps this body be healthy, beautiful, and wonderful. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. And God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I want to just step kind of to the side and look at this from one little different angle that might help you. Because one of the things we've been talking about a lot in this sermon series is, how can I share the gospel with others? How can I help them also be soaked in the gospel and the good news? Because the gospel is good news for everybody. And these four statements are a way in to what we would call gospel conversations. Here's what I mean. Can we put the four things back up here? If we can put those on the screen here in a moment. So that first statement, God is great. We believe that, right? And so I don't have to be in control. How many times do you have a conversation with someone when you realize that they are really frustrated because they don't have control over a situation, right? A lot. 
How many times do you have a conversation with someone and they're afraid? They're afraid for their kids. They're afraid they're going to lose their job. They're afraid they're not going to make the team. Like fear, 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 right? Fear about family things and relational things. There's lots of fear. How many times do you have a conversation where someone is looking for satisfaction and you realize like, oh man, you're, you're trying to get happy this way or this way or this way or, or you have a conversation and someone's trying to prove themselves. All of these things are things to be listening for. Remember, gospel listening. We're listening for what the, God is doing in their lives and how they be, be missing out on the good news. So for instance, when you hear about someone who's afraid and, they're, and you're just asking questions and listening and they're talking about the fear that they have about um, maybe a work situation or a school situation, they're afraid, that's a moment for you to say, is there anything that could happen that could completely take away that fear? Because right, even if the friendship got better, wouldn't there still be some fear somewhere? Or even if the job got a little bit better, wouldn't there be some fear somewhere that you might lose it next week or next month or next year? Like what would have to happen for that fear to completely be gone? And then you might have the opportunity to say, you know what, I've had some fears in my life too. And there's actually only one way to alleviate that kind of fear, that panic, that stress. And, and it's, it's believing that God is glorious. So I don't have to fear anymore. Like, I, to be honest with you, I still get a little afraid sometimes. But I don't have to live and dwell in that fear anymore because I trust in God. Do you see how that took a really normal conversation? It wasn't tricky. It wasn't like giving them a $100 bill that wasn't really $100. And on the back it said, hey, you might go to hell if you don't believe in God. With no kind of trick, manipulation, anything like that. Okay, it, it was just a conversation, right? A conversation where you could say, hey, let's talk about your fear. Hey, you know, you don't have to always be afraid. You're talking to people all the time who are trying to find satisfaction. And, and maybe you can just ask, what, what is it that would make you 100% happy? And would it make you happy forever? Like really forever, ever and ever? Because I used to seek happiness in lots of different ways. And you know what, because God is good, I don't, I don't have to chase that anymore. God completely satisfies me. So these are a way that you can walk right into gospel conversations because we want you to walk into those conversations all the time. With, and, and people aren't gonna be, run, they're not gonna run away because of this. And if they do, I mean, that's kind of their choice. But you found a way. So look for these little ways that when you talk to people in everyday life, that you can walk right into, like, here's your fear. Here's what you're feeling. Let me tell you how believing in God can help you, can change your life and change your eternity. We believe that these things to be true. And if we believe them to be true, we have to share them with other people every opportunity that God gives us, and he gives each of us different opportunities. This morning, if you feel like things are out of control in your world, or you're stuck in fear, or you're chasing happiness, or you're always trying to prove yourself, the core issue is your belief in God. And we want to let you know that you can believe in God and he will change your life. And this morning when uh, we're going to have a benediction here in a moment, a, a scripture. And when that is done, if you would like uh, folks to pray for you or pray with you about uh, trusting in God and believing in him and being baptized in Jesus and in his good news and, and following him for all of your life and having your sins wiped out 
having the Holy Spirit God live with you, we would love for you to do that. And we'll have some folks up here who are just going to stay afterwards for a while who would love to pray with you and talk with you and study with you. Um, we would love to do that. But the way that we're going to close this morning um, is just uh, with the next passage that comes after all of this talk about all of the gifts. Because what Paul says is, none of those gifts matter if we don't love one another, right? You can be great at music or art or teaching or serving or helping or finances or whatever, but if you don't love people, you're not being helpful to the body of Christ. So what I would like you to invite you to do is if you could stand up where you are, and we're just going to put 1 Corinthians 13 up here, and I'm going to invite us to read this together. And this will be kind of our closing benediction time together just to commit as a family to love one another and to care for one another. And, and then as soon as that is done, you are dismissed, but you are welcome to come up here for prayer to talk about believing in God. And we would love for you to do that. Let's just read this all together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not light in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Have a good day.